I'm Casey Main, author, writer, and party girl turned spiritual junkie, and I'm dedicated to helping you better understand the most important and most complicated relationship you'll ever be in, the one you have with yourself. It's the only relationship that you're in for the entirety of your time here, and it affects every single aspect of your life, yet it is the one most often overlooked. This podcast is here to help you explore that relationship, get to know yourself so you can accept yourself, heal yourself, and become a better version of yourself. So let's get to it. And welcome back to another episode of the Better You Podcast, our last episode in the year 2020. I'm your host, Casey Main. As always, thank you for being here. If you've been following along for a while, or if you listened to last week's show, then I kind of left it a little up in the air on what I was going to do for this week's episode. And my original plan months ago was to do 21 like life lessons because I did that last year. I did 20 life lessons going into 2020 um, towards the end of the year. And it was a really, it was a fun episode to do. It was a solo one and it was just a nice little reflective exercise for me to kind of go back and think through my biggest takeaways, like biggest aha moments of the year. And I had good intentions of doing the same thing this year and then time just got away from me and my sister and her family came in town and I've really been going back and forth like, okay, what, what do I do for this week's show? And then it was actually like while I was sleeping and dreaming last night, I had this idea that um, rather than think of 21 new lessons, I'm going to reshare the 20 lessons from last year and then add another lesson onto it to make it 21 lessons. Because when I re-listened to last year's episode, just so many of the lessons like were still so relevant, both in my life, um, in a lot of conversations we've had with various guests over the year. And I just think they're good reminders for all of us. So if you listened to it last year, I encourage you to listen to it again, because you might get something new, or maybe there's some stuff you kind of lost sight of or lost touch with over this very interesting and for many people, very difficult year we've had Because that was the case for me when I re-listened to it. I was like, oh, there's some good stuff in here, some really good reminders for me. And so rather than try and think of 21 new lessons, we're just going to reshare the 20 and then I'll add another one. And really, I think that also speaks to like a bigger point that I believe there's there's some foundational truths within life. And especially if you get into the personal development work and the spiritual work, Uh, my guess would be you are kind of coming to this conclusion as well, that there's just some foundational truths. So maybe there aren't always a year of like 20 new lessons and stuff, because the deeper you go with it, you kind of always come back to some of these like core foundational truths or lessons or whatever you want to call them. It was also like a little bit disheartening for me to listen to this because I reference a lot of Um, blogs and articles I'd written and published on sites like Thought Catalog and on my own blog, on my own website. And it's really more like reflective type writing. And I don't, I don't do that kind of writing as much anymore. I've written very few articles like that this past year. And 
while partly it's a good thing because my paid writing opportunities have really picked up. So I've been able to build more of a sustainable business out of writing, which was my goal at the same time that made me a lot busier. And then I didn't have as much time to spend in self-reflection. Um, and then also doing that type of writing, which I really enjoy. And this is something I know I've confessed to like several in several shows this past year of kind of my struggle to, to build like a new self care, self work routine that involves some like quiet time. And I will say I've been much better about it now, um, of having my little cup of coffee out on the porch, just quiet alone time. I started to do a little bit of meditating, trying to get back into that practice, um, in some way, shape or form, like kind of find some way that works for me and and who knows, maybe this year I'll be inspired and, and actually carve out the time to do more writing that is in more of like a reflective writing for me type of format rather than writing for an, an online magazine or a client or, you know, the paid writing work, which which I do need and I do enjoy. Um, but also I'm, I'm hoping to maybe get back into more of the writing for me. And then it's also it was interesting to re-listen to it to really hear like how my goals have changed. And specifically like this time last year, I was really working to uh, like, it's embarrassing to admit this, but like quote unquote, like be someone, you know, like I was kind of seeking some notoriety for my writing and my book and, and for this podcast. And this year I just, I feel so different. Like I feel just this strong urge to simplify, like to just simplify my life. And I think I've mentioned this in a couple of shows that my boyfriend and I own some property about two hours outside of town. So it's kind of like in the woods in this little small country town. And we've been going there more and it's just so nice to just be away from all the hustle and bustle and the, and the noise, not that Jacksonville beach is like a big city, but to just get away and out into nature. And that's really what I'm, I'm feeling a pull to do, which is just to simplify and like find more quiet. And with that feeling, like I've thought very seriously about stopping this podcast. Like I've, I've really been struggling with it and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of work. And while I really do enjoy it, it is a lot of time and a lot of work. And if I'm no longer trying to quote unquote, you know, be somebody like that's really known in like the personal development or spiritual space, then one could argue like what's the point of doing this. Like if I'm not trying to get to like Oprah status and I've been, I've been grappling with that question a lot, but obviously I'm not stopping it as I sit here and record this episode because I think that, or at least this is my mindset going into the new year. Ultimately, like I, I don't think it's a matter of stopping the show because my end goal has changed. I think maybe it's just a matter of accepting my new goal and that I'm no longer doing this to grow the show but I'm doing it to grow me and to grow you and to have conversations that get us all thinking and reflecting and essentially just addressing our shit, which will just make all of our lives better. And that's always been at the root of why I started this podcast, but I'd be lying if I said I haven't, especially this year, like gotten distracted um, by shiny objects like download numbers and potential sponsorship opportunities and all that stuff just kind of pulls me away from the true goal. So as we head into a new year, 
I just kind of want to reaffirm to myself and to you all that my goal with the show is to stay true to me, stay true to you. And just like Elizabeth Gilbert said in Big Magic, which is um, one of the things I reference in one of the goals or one of the lessons um, that you're about to hear is to let go of the reaction because the reaction doesn't belong to me. So that is my my goal and my intention setting for the podcast for the new year. I'm no longer going to get distracted by or focus on growing the show, but more just quality conversations, quality guests, and hoping that you all listening, however many of them you are, that you are getting as much out of these conversations as I am. All right. So with that, we are going to go ahead and uh, just jump into the first 20 lessons, which again, I recorded this last year, so I did not re-record it. And then at the end, I'm going to add in another lesson uh, to make it 21 lessons going into 2021. And also I want to note that all the blogs or articles or past podcast episodes that I reference, I'll put those in the show notes. All right, here we go. Lesson one, it is okay to be a thinker. Clearly, I am a thinker, a deep thinker, an overthinker, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm a thinker. And I suppressed and hid that part of me for a long time because I was almost embarrassed about it. It isn't always the norm. I've had people very close to me, uh, people who love me, flat out tell me that they don't think as deep as I do or don't understand why I make everything so complicated. And so I think I thought that there was something strange or off about me for a while, which is why I kind of suppressed it. But this year, it really pushed me to embrace and I guess unleash my thinking, um, obviously, as I'm trying to now make a living out of it. But the term overthinker is still often used as a negative. And since I finally came around and have embraced it as a positive, um, earlier in the year, I wrote an article for Thought Catalog on behalf of all of my fellow overthinkers. And I titled it, Five Little Reasons Why It's Actually Good to Be an Overthinker. So in that article, I wrote, we aren't over anything. We see people and the world around us as intricate and interesting. So we think, we reflect, we analyze a lot. Some may say it's too much and that's fine, but we aren't here to float through life not giving a shit about anything. We are here to root out the reasons for our relationships and learn the lessons life throws at us. Our days are full of mysteries to solve, connections to make, and thoughts to explore. You might look at us and think we are making life more difficult, but I argue we are making it more meaningful. So if you are also an overthinker or you know one, then just please understand that this is not a bad thing. It's simply the way that someone's mind works and they can't always change it. And I think all we can all do is accept and embrace it, whether you are an quote unquote overthinker yourself or for all the overthinkers that you might have in your life. Lesson two, everything matters. So apparently scrunchies are back in style. And when I first heard this, I absolutely did not believe it until I saw this really cute young millennial girl who definitely knows more about fashion than I do wearing a scrunchie. And in that moment, I was like, wow, everything really does come back. And then I thought more about that concept. 
it's at the very least entertaining when it comes to fashion, but it can be applied to life as well. And there it carries some big implications. Karma, law of attraction, justice, whatever you want to call it, they are all essentially saying the same thing, that what we put out into the world returns to us. Now, to some, that concept may be empowering or exciting, and for others, it's a little overwhelming or scary, but for me, it's, it's exciting because it means that everything matters. Every moment, every decision we make, every action we take, every reaction we have, none of it is for nothing because we'll see it all again. It'll come back to us in a different form, like a blessing or a hardship, a lesson, but it always comes back, so it all matters. Lesson three, there is insight in every emotion, good and bad. I read in an Esther Hicks book that our emotions are our inner guidance system, and that really stuck with me. The good ones help show us we are in the right place, moving in the right direction, and the bad ones, well, they show us the work that we need to do. The problem is we often suppress or avoid the negative ones because they're not very much fun to feel. And I've learned that suppressing emotions is pretty much an all or nothing game. We don't really get to be selective. If we suppress the bad, inevitably we'll lose the good as well. I know this because that's what happened to me. I pretty much spent my entire twenties avoiding my negative emotions, every painful relationship and all the drama they caused in my life. I just didn't deal with it. I tried to quote unquote, be strong and move on without really processing any of it. And it left me feeling pretty numb and ultimately void of any real emotion, good or bad. So this year I've done a lot of work to try and get back in touch with my feelings and finally let the bad ones out, but not just acknowledging them, but seeing what they can teach me. I talk about this in my blog titled all the feels where I wrote accepting ourselves means accepting our whole selves and all the feels along the way. We can't deny them because they came for a reason. No matter how unpleasant, they exist to teach us, show us where our triggers are and where we haven't dealt with something. We can only learn the lesson if we let them in and listen patiently, knowing it may take a while. That's what we often fail to do. We don't acknowledge the unfriendly emotions. We don't sit with them without judgment until they are ready to leave. Instead, we immediately reject them, barely let them in the door before shoving them away. But we have to understand they're a part of us. All the emotions and all the feels are part of the human experience. So we should let them all in, accept each one, sit with each one, appreciate each one, knowing it will not stay forever and we can't let it stay forever, but understanding that it too has something to say, understanding that difficult teachings are where we learn the most and understanding that when it comes to emotions, unpleasant visitors are better than none at all. Negative emotions are uncomfortable to feel, and I'd argue that it's even more uncomfortable to process them. But if we can shift the lens a little and look at them as insight, they can move from being scary to being helpful. Lesson four, we can only ever love to the extent that we understand love. In my experience, we can't fully receive and accept love until we know how to fully give it but we can only give it to the extent that we are capable of at any given stage of life. And that capability depends on how much we truly understand what love is. And this is why I think self-love is so important. It's our first go at love and it's the only relationship that we are in our entire lives. It's like we're our first guinea pig when it comes to love. We practice, we fail, we learn, we try again, and that goes on and on until we get it right, until we learn what love really is by learning to love ourselves. 
And I think then and only then are we ready to give it to someone else so that we can then receive it. It's like learning how to love ourselves right earns us the right to experience love with another. Lesson five, our relationship with ourself takes time. I've been asked a lot this past year in interviews regarding my book, if I would recommend others to give up men for a period of time like I did. My answer is always absolutely not. That ultimately wasn't, wasn't the point of the book. But what I do recommend to everyone is to carve out some time in your schedule to hang out with just yourself. No phone, no Netflix, no friends or family, just you. It's hard to do from a fitting in standpoint and it's also hard to just actually do. It's hard to just sit quietly with ourselves. And I don't necessarily mean meditating. So many people don't even go to the bathroom without their phone these days, let alone sit outside or go for a walk or, or do nothing but just sit with your own thoughts. We live in this world of like go, go, go with endless things to check or scroll through or swipe through or catch up on, but it's causing us to not catch up with ourselves. We don't check in to see how we're really feeling once all those distractions are removed take stock of where we currently are in life and where we want to go. And if we're on track to get there, these are the conversations we need to be having with ourselves. So we don't lose touch with ourselves where, when, or how you have those conversations is totally up to you. But I will warn you that it's not a one and done thing. No, no, no. Our relationship with ourselves is much more high maintenance than that. As with any other relationship, we have to continue to make time to hang out with ourselves or we'll start to get disconnected. And this is why I'm such a believer in self-reflection, but I'm by no means perfect at it. Actually, the reason I know it's not a one and done thing, but instead something we have to continuously work on is because I totally dropped the ball this past year. My life changed and my routines got all shuffled around and I got quote unquote too busy to hang out with myself. And sure enough, that disconnect started to creep in and I totally felt it. It's hard. It's hard to continue to make ourselves a priority. But that's why I think it helps to think of it as a relationship. Every relationship in our life needs continuous time spent together to keep it in a good place. And that includes the one that we have with ourselves. Lesson six, life has different seasons. Maybe I should say chapters since I'm a writer, but I like the term season because I think there is a cyclical nature to it. I've noticed this a lot with my writing, but I imagine it's true for any kind of creativity. I go through seasons where I'm constantly inspired to write and I have all kinds of ideas and thoughts for blogs and articles. And then I go through seasons where that inspiration just isn't there. And at first I got really frustrated during those seasons and would try and force myself through them. But viewing them as seasons helps me remember it's temporary and to not get frustrated about whatever season it isn't, but instead find out what season it is. Just because it isn't one filled with creativity doesn't mean it's a bad one. It's just time to focus on other things. And I think that concept of seasons is true in all areas of our life. Megan Weigel and I talk about this a little in episode nine in terms of self-care. You may go through seasons of life where you're really killing it in the health and wellness game. And then life changes and maybe you become a parent or maybe you're taking care of an aging parent. And now that season of life has a different focus and it's all okay we have to accept the seasons as they come and not beat ourselves up for how they may change our focus or our priorities in life. And like I wrote about in a blog about a season of my life where I moved back in with my parents in my 30s, there is a silver lining to every season, no matter how tough it may seem at the time. Lesson seven, nothing ever goes away until it has taught us what we need to know. This is a quote from Pima Chodron, and I'm probably butchering her name, but I don't really know how to pronounce it. 
but I just love it because I believe this is true for all things in life, relationships, circumstances, feelings, all of it. Life has this incredible way of providing us the perfect material for whatever lesson we need to learn. We just tend to look at it wrong. We don't see it as a lesson. All we see is pain or bad luck or misfortune. That's because sometimes the lessons are hard. They're painful to sit through. And we'd rather lay our head down on the desk and sleep, distract ourselves by writing notes to friends, or maybe even skip class completely. But just as in all our years of real school, we won't truly learn the lessons of life school if we don't pay attention. Time will pass and we may think we've graduated to the next level, but intellectually we haven't, emotionally we haven't, and spiritually we haven't. The only way to progress, the only way to leave the classroom is to find the lesson and learn it, to see how we can better ourselves in relationships rather than try to change others, to see how we can use seemingly unfortunate situations to grow rather than blame them for our circumstances, and to see our feelings as indicators of pages we may need to revisit rather than reasons we should close the book altogether. We are here to learn and no one can do it for us and no one can stop us but ourselves. And the more we fight it, the more excuses we find not to pay attention to what life is showing us and the lesson that's presented to us, the less we know about each other, about ourselves and about life. Lesson eight, the point of relationships are to trigger our shit. I very much believe that we are all so much more connected than we realize, that our experiences, while they might be wrapped in different circumstances, at the deepest level are oftentimes the same. And it's when we realize that, when we see our struggles and the struggles of another, that we can relate, we can accept, and ultimately we can love. But I also believe that it is through each other that we truly learn the most about ourselves. It is in relationships of every form and interactions throughout every day where we see where we really stand. Because recognizing ourselves in another is more than just seeing the connection points. I believe it's also seeing the counterpoints. It is our differences that reveal the parts of us that we can't find on our own. So it's when we get annoyed that we find an exposed nerve we haven't healed yet. When we get in arguments where we see fears we've wrapped in anger. And when our feelings are hurt where we find sensitive spots we've not yet strengthened. It all exists to reveal the parts of us we tend to overlook, ignore, or pretend aren't there. But we have to find them to face them, and we have to face them to work through them. And we can't do it alone, which is why we can always go further together. Lesson nine, our brains can't always be trusted. One night I was lying in bed and my mind was just racing. It was on an analytical roller coaster of the future and all the fears associated with it, jumping from one assumption to the next with each one making me just more agitated. And then a question jumped into my head out of nowhere. What do I know is true in this moment? And that question totally saved me from myself because my answer was very simple and easy. I'm lying in a comfortable bed in a safe condo with a man I love sleeping next to me. That's it. That is the only thing that was true in that moment, despite my mind's desperate attempt to convince me otherwise. And with that answer, I was able to relax and fall asleep. It's all too easy for our brains to revert back to the past or run off into the future, supposedly trying to figure it all out, but really just freaking out unnecessarily. And in those moments, it can be hard to realize none of that is true. The only truth, the only reality that ever exists is the current moment. Everything in the past is already done. So the only reason to look back at it is to learn. And the future is all unknown. It's only guesses. So when you catch your mind going down a rabbit hole of negative assumptions, pause and ask yourself one question. 
What do I know is true in this moment? Lesson 10, set boundaries. Ugh, boundaries. So we hear this word all the time. And up until I interviewed Dr. Christie in episode 15, I will admit I never really knew what they meant. I always viewed them as a negative, like a way to keep people at a certain distance, which worked for me for a long time as I was pretty closed off emotionally. But Dr. Christie said something that suddenly made it all much more clear to me. She said, boundaries are how we teach people how to treat us. So they're not meant to keep people away, but instead to show them the way. That was like a big aha moment for me. Basically, they narrow the path and educate people on how to reach us, how to love us, and how to make us feel safe enough to come out from behind our walls and meet them halfway. Boundaries are not a negative thing. They're a necessary thing to keep all of our relationships in balance, including the one that we have with ourselves. Lesson 11, it is not easy to listen to your gut. Uh, this is something I've struggled with for a long time. People always say listen to your gut, but I, I find it very difficult to do. However, I've made quite a few gut decisions this past year, and I've been able to pinpoint a couple clues that your gut is talking. I wrote about this in an article that I published on Thought Catalog titled, These Three Important Tells Mean Your Gut Is Speaking Up and You Need to Listen. In a nutshell, the three tells are that, one, your brain works against it, meaning it's usually not a logical decision. So you'll often find yourself trying to talk yourself out of it. But when you think about it, like when you're debating things in your mind, who's debating? I think that it's your brain and logic versus your gut or intuition. Number two, it's difficult to listen to, not just because it's hard to hear, but because it's hard to follow. The road it leads us down is not easy. It's full of fears we haven't faced, desires we ignore, and insecurities that we overlook. Number three, no one understands it but you. It's one of those things you just know but can't explain to others, which makes it extra difficult to trust because we tend to seek validation in our choices from others, and it's hard for people to validate something they simply can't understand. So in my experience, Listening to your gut does come with consequences. You might be judged, you might be misunderstood, and you may be heading down a really messy road. But know that that doesn't mean you're making a mistake. Rather, you've stopped arguing with yourself and you're finally starting to listen to yourself. Lesson 12, maybe there is no right and wrong. Life is full of choices and oftentimes decisions are not easy. There's no way to know what choice is the right one, but maybe therein lies the real issue that we've decided that for every decision, there is a right choice and a wrong one. But how can we ever truly know which is right and wrong when one of the choices never plays out? All we have are the assumptions of how we think it would have gone. Maybe there's another way to look at it. Because at what point are the choices labeled right or wrong? Only when the end results reveal themselves, right? But when is the real end? Every decision we make creates the next round of choices and so on and so on. There is no end. Whatever results come along the way are never the end results. They are merely one stop on a much longer journey. So if we remove the concept of right or wrong results, what do we have left? Simply the experience that comes along with our choices, the roads they lead us down, the people we meet, and the rocks we trip over along the way. Some experiences may seem better than others, but maybe they are still all an important step. And we can choose to see them as good or bad, fair or unfair, right or wrong, or we can see them as growth, as learning, and as tests of strength. Maybe our decisions aren't singular instances with clearly defined results, 
but instead just part of an ongoing interconnected journey where right and wrong hold no real meaning. Lesson 13, life knows better. So I turned 35 this year, and had you asked me 10 years ago what my life would look like at 35, I would have painted a very different picture than what it currently looks like. Not in a million years would I have expected to not be married, not have children, not even have a steady income. And while I could easily let that upset me, it doesn't, because I now understand and fully believe that there's a much bigger picture that I'm not aware of. I talk about this in a blog titled, Maybe Life Knows Better, and in it I wrote, I guess Forrest Gump nailed it when it comes to life. You never know what you're going to get. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it's because life knows better than us. The life I had designed for myself would have been a great life. I don't doubt that. But look at what life gave me instead. It gave me heartache to show me the love I really needed was my own. Miserable drives to work to teach me those careers weren't for me. Mistakes that made for great writing material and struggles that gave me a story to tell. No, I didn't get the life I wanted but maybe I got the life I needed. A life that painfully pushed me in a direction I wouldn't have gone on my own. A life that taught me lessons I didn't know I needed to learn. We grow up with these very specific ideas of what it means to be happy, to be successful, to have it all. But as time goes on, those ideas often don't work out or don't deliver. And it can take a long time to remove them from our psyche, to detach them from our definition of happiness and to see that sometimes it's our connection to what we assumed would make us happy that is doing just the opposite. Maybe that's ultimately what life is trying to teach us, that it isn't about living our best laid plans. Maybe through all its twists and turns, life's main goal is to actually free us from them, to remove the concept of need, to break all the attachments we have to people, to things, to identities, and to ideas, to show us the only thing we need to be happy is something we've had from day one and along every step of the way, for all we need is us. Lesson 14, everything that matters is happening inside us. So here's where you're going to see the extent of my deep thinking nature. This one is pretty philosophical, but I had this realization after listening to a dream expert interviewed on Oprah's Super Soul Conversations podcast. He talked about how what happens in our dreams is just a ruse to get us to feel certain things and that the true insight into any dream are the feelings that you feel. As I wrote in my blog titled The Ruse, and then I started thinking, what if the same is true for life? Maybe the script, the daily who, what, when, and where, isn't what really matters. Instead, maybe it too is just a ruse to reveal our inner workings, our perceptions, thoughts, feelings, joys, and struggles. Perhaps, like dreams, the purpose of daily life is to resolve our inner conflicts. Maybe all of it is insight into the state of our psyche, showing us which parts may need repair. All of it serves an important purpose of helping us become whole. In that case, it doesn't matter if we get cut off in traffic, denied a promotion, or have our heart broken. What truly matters in life is how we see it, how we feel about it, and how that plays into our concept of self. We are always either healing or deepening the hurt. If we view life this way, significance begins to shift and what we allow to define us takes on a new shape. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter what job we hold, what car we drive, or the house we live in. There's no meaning in our education level, relationship status, or retirement fund. These are all just part of the script. Ruse is used to surface our feelings. The significance lies in the feelings and how they shape our view of the world. Are we humble, grateful, and optimistic? Or are we selfish, power-hungry, and negative? Perhaps what life is really trying to show us, through all the plot twists and turns, 
is how to heal ourselves. Every moment of pain, discomfort, hatred, judgment, jealousy, and anger is uncovering a wound that needs work. Dreams may be where our subconscious handles the healing process, but life is where we take the stage. Lesson 15, it is what it is. I used to use this phrase all the time, and then I stopped using it and actually pretty much disagreed with it as I came to this realization that I was actually in control of my life and therefore could make it what I wanted to be rather than just throw my hands up saying it is what it is. But then I heard Byron Katie say in an interview that the moment we begin to argue with reality is when we begin to suffer. It got me thinking about my old go-to phrase and whether or not it holds any truth. In the interview, she went on to explain that something is either your business, someone else's business, or God's business. How you live your life from how you dress and what you do to what you believe and your attitude, that's your business. How someone else lives their life, everything they say, decide, believe, not your business. That's their business. And God's business, well, that's pretty much everything else from the weather to when we come into this world and when we leave it. It's when we overstep into business that isn't ours that we suffer. When we stress, worry, and get upset over things that we can't control. They just are what they are. We want them to be different rather than accept them as reality, and that is the suffering. But there is good news, because we do have some control. We can't control what someone says or does, but we decide what we say or do back. And we can't control what life will throw at us, challenges, loss, difficult times, difficult people but we decide how we react to it, how we view it, how we feel about it, what we do with it. That is the control. So yes, sometimes it just is what it is, but the good news is that we always take it from there. Lesson 16, we actually can change others, but only by changing ourselves. A lot of what I talk about and write about comes back to a focus on self taking ownership of our life and our decisions, analyzing ourselves and changing ourselves because supposedly we can't change others. But the thing is, we don't live in silos. We are always interacting with each other. It's this constant interchange of actions and reactions and we are forever affecting each other. We can't force change upon someone else, but we can evoke change in them by changing ourselves. Changing our actions can cause a different reaction. Brian Falchuk and I discussed this a lot in episode 18, and I also touch on it in an article I published on Thought Catalog titled, When We Give Up on Others, We Give Up on Ourselves, where I write about how, because we can't force change upon someone, we can only accept where they are in life and trust and believe that they are capable of change. And maybe that acceptance, that change within ourselves, is what will evoke change in them. Lesson 17. All change starts with awareness. This is one of those lessons that I continue to learn over and over again. We can't alter our self-destructive patterns or limiting beliefs if we don't know they're there. And we can't overcome our insecurities or heal our triggers if we can't see them. The first step is always, always awareness. And sometimes awareness is all it takes. I found this especially true when my mind starts to race off into unnecessary drama or anxiety. If I catch myself starting to freak out over something that my boyfriend did or worry about what someone is going to think about something or start to stress over the future, if I can create just enough space, just like a split second pause to take a step back and see my mind racing, be aware of it, then I can avoid just blindly following it into freak out mode. There have been times where I've literally said to myself in my head, like, wow, look at you go. Like you're getting all worked up. 
And that may sound funny, but it works because it creates just enough space for me to realize that if I can see those thoughts, I'm not those thoughts. And if I'm not them, then I have a choice in the matter. And that allows me to like relax a little, view the situation from a level head and ultimately make better decisions about what to do. Lesson 18, life is only lived one step at a time. I've talked about this a lot this past year, and it's usually when people asked how I was able to write and then publish a book that pretty much just airs all my dirty laundry, or how I was able to walk away from a comfortable corporate job and venture out into the unknown world of like freelance and entrepreneurship. And I always like to point out that whenever we want to take on a big challenge or a big change, if we look too far into the future, it can become too big and scary and overwhelming. And yes, looking ahead for planning purposes is necessary sometimes. We can't let our minds stay there too long because all we can ever do at any given moment is take the next step. So when I was writing my book, if I had let myself spend too much time thinking about how I was going to publish it and then how I was going to market it and then how are people going to react to it, I'm not sure I would have ever gone through with it. It would have all just seemed like way too much. So instead, I only ever thought about the current step that I was in and the next step I had to take when it was time. So when I was writing, I only thought about writing. That's it. And writing the book didn't mean it was ever going to be published or marketed or read and reacted to. So there was no reason to stress over all those future decisions. Writing it only meant I was writing it. And that's my advice for any goal or change anyone wants to tackle. It's just like that saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Don't look too far into the future and let that freak you out and convince you to never move forward. Just take the first step and then like pause and realize that you're okay. Your world didn't fall apart. So then take the next step and so on and so on. I talked about this recently in a blog titled The Moment. In it, I wrote, perhaps the answer lies in another one of Newton's laws. An object in motion stays in motion. Maybe it is just a matter of realizing we are already moving towards what we want having the idea, entertaining the idea, and seeing the idea as a reality has already set its future in motion. We just have to stay out of our own way because it's not so much about struggling and pushing through the entirety of the counter moment, but rather understanding that progress is always only made one step at a time. Our present self is free to punt almost everything about an idea to our future self, almost everything, all but one step. That's the only thing the present self ever has to manage, taking one small step. Our thoughts will always venture off into the future, which seems far away and full of resistance. But our lives are always lived in the present, where we can only ever take the next step, and where the only resistance is choosing not to. Lesson 19, trust the process. This may be the toughest lesson I've learned this year. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't naively hopeful that I'd publish my book and it would just take off and I'd be one of those like boom, instant success people. And it might work that way for some people, but for the majority of us, it's a process. Anything we try to accomplish in life, any change we try to make within ourselves, it's all a process. And we have to first accept that there is a process and then accept where we are in that process. I had some big failures in that arena this past year, but the biggest one by far was when I freaked out over my lack of Instagram followers and in an insecure panic, purchased a bunch of fake followers. I then decided to own that decision, despite how embarrassing it was, and I wrote an article about it and published it on Thought Catalog, and it's titled, Oops, I Bought 3,000 Instagram Followers. Here's an excerpt from it. 
Recently, I listened to a talk by Cheryl Strayed, author of the best-selling memoir, Wild, and boy, did it hit home. The talk was titled, The Humble Journey to Greatness. And towards the end, she said something that took me by surprise. She instructed us to surrender to mediocrity. Huh? Mediocrity? Is her motivational speech really going to end by telling us to settle for mediocrity? She went on to explain that surrendering to mediocrity is humbly acknowledging that the very best thing you have to give us is only what you have to offer. It's what you already have, what you already hold. And then it sank in. We need to accept who we are and where we are and be true to that, whether it be at work, in a relationship, or in pursuit of a big dream. We live in this culture that is always striving for more, more money, more power, more love, and more followers. We see people who have what we want and use it as proof that we aren't where we should be. We see their success as evidence of our failure, but that simply isn't true. According to Cheryl, part of being evolved is having the capacity to hold two opposing truths in one hand and recognizing the truth of each and understanding how they serve each other. Our task is to accept where we are yet still strive for more, to appreciate everything our current view has to offer while not losing sight of the heights we wanna reach. It's a delicate balance, and it's one that's hard to find in our forward-focused world, but it's a line we must walk. Because we don't serve the world by wishing we were different or pretending to be something we're not. Pining for the future does nothing for the present. We make the biggest impact by being true to who we are and giving whatever we have to give at that point in time. And as we continue to work on ourselves, our talents, and our business endeavors, those gifts will change and grow day by day, month by month, and year by year. And no one gift outweighs the other. My truth is that I don't have a little blue check by my handle or a K in my follower count. Far from it. I'm not well-known or even somewhat known at this point. And I guess that's all right. I am where I am. And where I am is in process to get to those places. I may be miles away, but I'm still walking the path that those I admire had to walk. I'm doing the work. I'm defining my voice and learning how to use it. I'm figuring out step by painful step how to build and market my brand. I am finding my tribe and they are finding me. Slowly, but that's okay. Ultimately, my frantic purchase taught me that the proof of success does not reside in numbers. It isn't about counting your progress, but rather continuing the process at peace with every step. And finally, lesson 20, the reaction doesn't belong to you. So that is a little fragment of a sentence from Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. It's a little line but it's one that holds so much meaning, so much truth, and so much freedom. In the book, she's referring to creativity, that we should put our work in whatever form it takes out into the world and then let go of the reactions, not worry about them. Because it's only in the product and the process that goes into it that belongs to us. The reactions live beyond our control and therefore outside of our concern. But I love this line for life as well because it is the work that we put into it, the thoughts, the decisions, and yes, our reactions that belong to us. It is the product, ourselves, that we put out into the world each day that is ours. Releasing the reactions removes the pressure to be liked, to be accepted, to be included, and replaces it with the space to be unique, the freedom to create your life thought by thought and decision by decision without the worries of what others think. It is the work we put into finding ourselves, creating ourselves, and staying true to ourselves that is ours. It is the version of us, the parts of us, or the entirety of us that we give to the world that belongs to us. And the reactions lie in the hands of the receiver. So own the process, own the product, but then release the response. 
Okay, so that was the first 20 that I recorded in 2019. And as for our 21st lesson, which I am recording at the end of 2020, you know, as as I sat down to think about like what I really learned this year and kind of what my biggest aha moments were, there was really just one main theme and it centers around several interlocking concepts of empathy, understanding, and acceptance. I think that we were all challenged to learn and practice these things this year, um, as it was a year of not one, but just several big opportunities for us to disagree with each other, to judge one another, and ultimately to argue, which is why my lesson for this year and our 21st lesson is agree to disagree. This is one of those sayings we've been saying forever, and it usually gets tossed around in like anger or exasperation with undertones of judgment. And it's just so interesting when you think about it, like, why is it so hard for us to actually agree to disagree? Why do we care so much when someone else has differing beliefs, a different way of life, or different opinions on how things should be done? Like, why do we feel the need to make them not only see our side, but also convince them to come over to it? And when you really think about like, it's weird, it's weird how difficult it is for us to just let other people be who they are without judging them, thinking they are wrong or wishing they were different. And what makes it even weirder is that that's ultimately what we want from everyone in our lives. We want to be seen. We want to be heard, understood, accepted, and loved no matter what. Yet then we don't give that to others. To me, it's just another example of how everything ultimately comes back to us. Really seeing someone, trying to understand them, accept them, and love them no matter how much they differ from us is always a choice that we make. It's how we view this world and how we navigate this life. Bettering yourself is never about convincing someone else to change. It's always about seeking to understand them, empathy, and allowing them to be who they are, acceptance. Like that is the work and that understanding allowance and acceptance towards others is always easier when we practice it and we, and we do the same towards ourselves. It goes back to an earlier lesson on love and how really learning how to love ourselves is how we are then able to better love others. And I talk a lot about empathy in an earlier solo episode I did, which was episode 73. And in that show, I do a deeper dive into like empathy and discuss um, attachment, assumption, and perspective. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I encourage that you check it out because I really think that empathy is probably the biggest lesson for a lot of us this year. Everyone has a reason for thinking and acting the way that they do, just like we all do. Every minute of our lives has impacted us in some way. And it doesn't mean it's an excuse to be like a crappy human. It goes back to what Cheryl Strayed said, that part of being evolved is having the capacity to hold two opposing truths in one hand and recognizing the truth of each and understanding how they serve each other. People, and I mean all of us, are capable of doing, saying, and believing some very hurtful things. I'm not denying that. But they can be hurtful and there is a reason for them. There is an explanation for why each and every one of us is the way that we are, from what we believe to what we say and what we do. 
Seeing and accepting that reason doesn't also mean that you have to accept the hurt. You can choose to understand someone yet still disagree with them. We really can agree to disagree. So that is my added lesson for 2021. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for following the show if you have been. It really does mean a lot to me. I'm excited for the new year. I feel better going into it, kind of reaffirming my intention with the show that it's not about growing the show. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. And I really hope that I'm able to serve myself and serve you guys this year with some thought provoking, challenging, inspiring, interesting conversations. I wish you all a happy, happy new year. And I hope that you tune in next week for our very first show of 2021. Thank you again. I hope you all have a wonderful day and a fabulous week. Happy New Year.